Charlie Wilma. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. I'm Charlie Wilmoth here as always with David Todd. And David, I have to confess to you, I suggested on, I think, Saturday that we do this podcast. And then I was watching the game last night and I was like, why did I even suggest this? Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about this? What meaning does any of this have? Because that's where the Pirates are right now. How are you doing? Hopefully you're doing better than the Pirates are doing. And how are you feeling about how things are going for the Pirates, how things have been going for the Pirates in the past few weeks. Yeah, all good with me, Charlie. I mean, for, for the show, it's, uh, you know, the hockey ends with the Stanley Cup. Obviously, the Penguins win the Cup. NBA ends last night. The U.S. Open being held in Western Pennsylvania at Oakmont ended on yesterday as well. So uh, it will be a big focus on baseball here for the next six weeks. And unfortunately, for the first time in a long time, things really don't look good for the Pirates. And Charlie, I was just looking at some numbers earlier this morning, and the Pirates are 4-14 four and 14 in the month of June. They've got 10 games left. They have to win out in the month of June to avoid having their second losing month since the start of 2013. They were 9-6 and six in April 2014. No, excuse me, 9-16 in April of 2014. They have not had a losing month since. And it's been awfully nice to be a Pirate fan. And I think one of the things that we see, Charlie, or that I see, and I, I think is the vocal minority, and I don't see it as much on Bucks Dugout as I do on Twitter. But pi- people killing the Pirates when they're successful. Well, there is ample reason to maybe be killing the Pirates now with this uh, run of losing 10 of their last 11 and whatever it is, uh, 14, 15 of their last 19. It has been a rough go. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess what you just said about the, the streak of, of non-losing months really puts into perspective what we're dealing with right now. But this does not feel like a month of losing that seems incidental like you can have you know a month of losing where you blow out some teams and then you win some one or you lose some one run games and and it it, you know it comes out you have a month where you're 12 and 13 or whatever this does not feel like that this feels like the pirates just getting beaten and beaten badly because they don't have the personnel uh to to keep up with the opposition and so you know i can i can certainly understand uh people killing the Pirates for that because it seems like, you know, we, we went into this this season thinking back on, on the winter and, and thinking, well, this doesn't look like it makes any sense, but the Pirates have done certain things that didn't look like they made sense in the past, and it turns out they have, so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And it turns out that, you know, just a lot of these moves that the Pirates made over the offseason didn't make sense. Uh, well, so... Yeah, it is, Charlie. And I mean, nobody's patting themselves on the back because it was a, a general consensus that they were short and starting pitching. So they had to have a lot of things go right. And one of the things that had to go right was the front of the rotation had to be Cole and Lariano had to be really good again. Obviously, Cole's injured and Lariano has been awful. Uh, the, the three guys who are probably fourth and fifth starters in a rotation have pitched at best, at best like fifth starters. And they've been erratic doing it, which makes it just more magnified, I think, for, for fans and people watching this team, um, just, you know, go out and pitch a good game and then go out and give up eight runs in four innings. I mean, it's just, it's really rough because those games that they're pitching poorly, their, their games are over in the second or third inning. We've seen it so many times. And of course, the bullpen, aside from really Melanson and occasionally Watson has been a disaster. Nobody in middle relief has been any good. So it, it's been, 
you know, the Pirates had to get lucky and have things go the way they expected. And they've been unlucky in terms of injury, and they've had things not go the way they expected. So, you know, everything has gone kind of polar opposite in terms of how they saw it. And then to top it off, you know, Tyone, I think, has been as expected. If you kind of planned the schedule for Jamison Tyone, this was best-case scenario. Up right around this time, uh, having made three starts, having generally looked good despite what happened last night, but Glass now hasn't. And, you know, nobody else, obviously, in, in from Indy has done anything to uh, to help the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I think you could we may, maybe get into this. Maybe there's a case to be made that some of the people who are still at Indianapolis and who have not been called up are, are some of the ones more likely to help. And I, I'm thinking, and I assume you mean position players at that point. Well, yes, not not necessarily pitchers. I think, I mean, I, you know, Glass now, I mean, the, the walks are actually completely out of control for him. And that's something... <laughs> And you're comfortable that he's not up right now, right? I mean, last start, he goes six innings, gives up no hits, no runs, and he walks, I think, six. I, I mean, there, there are still people clamoring for him to be up, but, I mean, at this point, his development is is first and foremost, isn't it? Yes, and, and, and you know, let's be clear. I mean, maybe you can make the case that he can continue to develop at the, the major league level and that, you know, if you're going to call him up before next June, which hopefully they're planning on doing, uh, you can go ahead and call him up now, but honestly, I'm not positive he would be successful right now. And with the number of walks he's allowing, uh, the 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 thing where he's difficult to hit will not play nearly as well in the majors as it does in AAA, and the control problems will be magnified. So I think that's something he actually needs to get under control before he can be promoted. Um, you know, the, the guys I'd like to see come up uh, at, at this point are Josh Bell and maybe Adam Frazier. Um, those are the guys from that team who I, I think could maybe actually help. Yeah, and it's not just to put a finer point on it. His last 21 starts, one run on five hits with 17 walks. So it's cra- his numbers are crazy, uh, it, diametrically opposed, really good and really bad in terms of what he's doing down there. Um, so so let's t- uh, well let's quickly talk about Frazier and Bell because really I, I'd like to see a, a more steady view of Jason Rogers because of what he did last year. I think he adds some value, but. Uh, that hasn't been the problem. I mean, but guys coming off the Pirates bench, Joyce, Freeze, and Sean Rodriguez have been unbelievably good. So, I mean, it's kind of no room at the end. Yeah, um, not a lot. Uh, but I, I, I think that, that Bell is, is probably good enough at this point that you, you figure out a way to make it work. You know, I, I know I'm kind of like passing the buck on, on actually sorting out this roster business, but I, I, I think he's done enough that you, you deal with it, whether that means, uh, you know, trading someone or, or – unexpectedly removing someone else from the roster. I think you figure it out. And I, I think that, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm being hasty, but I think that, that John Jaso is actually not going to be the answer at first base. And you don't worry too much about the fact that you have him under contract for another year. I, I think we were we were both sort of modestly excited about him in April because the, the, the plate appearances look so good. Um, but really what you have at this point is a guy who is just, you know, hitting tons of ground balls. And in the past month or maybe even two months has, has not really gotten a whole lot done. Um, and is about, you know, is going to be 33 in September. So, you know, with the way the Pirates are playing right now, I'm not sure I see the downside in, in bringing Bell up and 
finding a way for him to get most of the plate appearances at first base. I think that's fair. I think Jason's given them exactly what they hoped. He's been, you know, above league average offensively. He's been perfectly adequate defensively. Uh, you're right. He's, he has certainly tailed off over the last six weeks versus the, the first six weeks of the season. And I'm with you. Uh, Josh Bell's super two. Uh, issue and clock is is a non-factor here because uh, just like you I think he will be the starting first baseman when they when they open the 2017 season Um, I think he'll be up in September worst case scenario and then the question is you know over these next five weeks of baseball with the all-star game uh, in there for a week off um, will he come up before that so uh, I don't know look the Pirates are still unbelievably not that far out of the second wild card spot so uh, I am not at all tossing the season. So that is one – that's one possibility. And, yeah, Jason shouldn't be blocking Bell. And it certainly looks like Bell's ready. Um, Fraser, kind of less of a view. If, if Sean Rodriguez were to get hurt or somebody else gets hurt, he comes up. I guess he's past Alan Hansen in terms of kind of what we think of in, in the middle infield, who the guys would be. And then just to, to throw one other thing out there that's going on in the system, how about what Austin Meadows is doing? Yeah, I mean that's that's been extremely exciting, and and uh, you know when when I saw he'd been promoted to Indianapolis, I you know in my head I almost kind of did sort of a double take because I thought wow he just seems way too young for that, and and way too inexperienced for that. I mean we, we we're talking about somebody who was drafted out of high school just a few years ago and has spent a significant amount of time has missed a significant amount of development time due to injury uh, since then, and he's been so good. So that could potentially you know come into play relatively soon you know early next season we could be talking about how do the pirates find space for austin meadows to play with this great outfield they have uh and that is a a very good problem okay so let's get to the major league club and and rip through this um because one of the things that i've said over the last two weeks on my show is there are no obvious solutions there for the starting rotation i don't know what the solution is and, you know, when Colt comes back, I think you move Nicasio to the bullpen. Obviously, Tyone isn't going back down. I mean, that's that's moot at this point. Um, but I don't know that you can do anything with Jeff Locke and John Neese other than to hope that they pitch better. Is there anything else to do, Charlie? I mean, maybe at some point you make the case that Chad Cool should come up. And and he's been he's been awful his last three starts. Right. That's 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 the problem. Um, you know, if he had continued as he had, you know, starting the season, um then maybe we can have a, a, a different conversation. I, you know, I, I, I've made my take on this pretty clear. I, I don't think Nicasio should be the one who gets bumped to the bullpen. I think it should be Locke. I mean, I, I just don't see, you know, any real upside there for him at, at this point. I mean, he might back into a good month here or there because that's a thing that can happen. But the underlying numbers just say he has been pretty much a disaster this year whereas with Nicasio he has his problems as a starter he's basically a two-pitch guy but he at least strikes some guys out uh, at least keeps the walks reasonable um, so you know maybe and he's on the restricted list right now I don't think it's been revealed exactly why he's on the restricted list so maybe there's something going on there um, but I, I think that between the two of them he's the one I'd keep there yeah and it, obviously it was it's a personal issue not a legal issue so uh, I, it's not punitive. I know that from the pirate side of things. So, you know, hopefully everything goes okay for him. All right, so that's the that's the rotation. I mean, we saw finally the last two guys from Indy come up last night in uh, Parch and Rondon, and it was, a you know, another dumpster fire. They have basically gone through every guy in the bullpen. Uh, at the end of the day, you, it's the guys that we've talked about. It's Melanson and Watson. Uh, you hope 
Hughes pitches, you know, the way he pitched last year. Feliz has been pretty good. I'll give him some credit. But they just can't find the other three guys to just get a couple outs now and then. Yeah, and I, and I guess that, that you know, there's – and I, I make this point a lot. But if, if the Pirates can stay in contention somehow over the next few weeks, that you know, the bullpen problems are a good problem to have because you can address that via the trade market without giving up too much. Right. Um, so, so there's that, and and you know, if if they stay on the fringes of the wild card race, or if they can edge their way um, up a little bit in the wild card race, I think that's the route they'll they'll go. Because, yeah, we, we're seeing guys come up. And by the way, um, the promotion of of uh, Jorge Rondon was was complete mystery to me. I mean, there, this is someone who who has a good ERA at at AAA and really not much else to recommend him in terms of. Him being able to throw strikes and knowing where his pitches are going, throws really hard, but but is really just his upside is is Archimedes Caminero basically. Um, so you know why the Pirates picked him, I, I I don't really know, but the the fact remains that they are running out of of legitimate arms. I mean maybe um, you know Alfredo Boscan is going to start tomorrow. Um, maybe he could once that's done, he could be an option at the bullpen again at some point. Um, maybe you can promote someone like Cool and start him there. Uh, but the Pirates are really going through a lot of arms, including a lot of guys who've had good numbers at AAA. But then they get to the the, the big leagues and it's a problem. We've seen that with Parch. We've seen that with with Corey Lubke. Uh, Lubke, uh, yeah, DFA'd. Uh, d- tremendous disappointment and. The, the uh, so I mean you look at the guys they tried I mean Shugel if he's your if he's your seventh guy in the bullpen fine yeah but Lo- Lobstein's been you know Lobstein's terrible uh, Scahill's been been poor uh, you know they've tried them all so I don't I don't Camonero's obviously been awful I, I don't know what to do I don't think you I don't think you DFA Camonero I wouldn't give up on him quite at this point but you know I, I, they're, again they're they're not solutions and the question is now let's turn let's turn the spotlight to Neil Huntington we talked about what he did with the rotation. He last week kind of chastised himself for not doing a better job with the bullpen. You know, I thought the bullpen looked fair coming in. I mean, I thought Naftali Feliz was a complete dice roll in terms of what you were going to get from him. But you assumed some of these guys might work out, and none of them have. And the guys who who pitched well last year have, you know, regressed. Yeah, and and that should have been foreseeable to a degree. I mean, that's what relievers do i mean they are by the you know with some exceptions they are by their nature um marginal sorts of players or else they wouldn't wind up as relievers in the first place so it's not uncommon for for them to have uh you know a couple of good years or very good years and then take steps backwards so yeah i mean the pirates probably should have done more um to to address their bullpen last offseason just to deal with that contingency uh and you know they didn't really come in for a ton of criticism for that kind of thing over the offseason um, because, you know, we just expect that, that whatever they're going to do with their pitchers is going to work out brilliantly. And it turns out that that's not always true. Okay, so now the catching situation is a disaster. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I imagine people do realize this, but how poorly Francisco Cervelli was hitting for the month before he got hurt. I mean, his OPS plus is now the lowest on the team at 85. So he was really struggling before he went down. He has, and a, obviously, slugging, he has a slugging percentage for the entire year of 293, for the entire yeah. year. Uh, I, I don't know if we talked about the contract, uh, Charlie. I think we were all very positive about it. I'm not going to go negative on it because of a bad month. 
But you certainly hope Cervelli brings a little bit more than that. And certainly the power, the, the hammy bone was not an issue before it got hurt. It was not a, oh, this has been bothering him. Okay, let's have surgery. It was a one swing type of thing. So that wasn't what sapped his power. But you have to assume he's not going to have much power the rest of the season when he comes back. Probably not. I mean, that, that tends to be the way that, that hand injuries work. I, you know, obviously, he's someone who produces a lot of value in other ways, you know, not only through his defense and through his work with pitchers, but also just because he, I mean, he, he's also... He's Francisco Cervelli. Well, I mean, he, he's walked in 15% of his plate appearances this year. Right. That, that's really good. And, and so if we call him out for his, you know, absolute lack of power, I think we also have to recognize this, this is someone who, who basically has a plan at the plate. I mean, he, he, he is not a player who is valueless without power. But, so, yeah. the, so the the larger question is, uh, do you fault Neil Huntington for not having any depth at catcher with the injuries they've had, or do you say, look, three guys got hurt? That's you, you know you can't you can't you don't plan for that. Diaz went down a long time ago, mm-hmm. and we knew that was the only viable guy they had, and you know he hasn't even worked his way back yet. And Stallings and and and, uh, and easily aren't remotely close to being major league ready or capable so did the pirates error here it's been an issue in the system for a couple of years now they got by with no injuries last year do you put it on on the the organization for not doing a better job not really i mean three guys got hurt you know and they they had a, a good plan for catching at the big league level with with cervelli and stewart and they had a, a someone who looked like a good prospect at indianapolis and they had somebody in Easley who has, you know, at least um, a, a little bit of experience who was sort of like the fourth guy. I think that was a fine plan going into the season and just a bunch of things went wrong. I don't think that's management's fault, really. Yeah, my, my only comment on, thought on Easley is, you know, if he's that guy, then what do you need Kratz? I mean, if Easley was going to be the guy in case of emergency, you know, you, you didn't use him. So they must not think much of him. No, but I, I think that if, if you were to go back to, you know, opening day and look at teams, uh, 40-man rosters and their their AAA rosters and find, you know, who is the, the fourth in line for at-bats at catcher, I, I don't know that most of the guys on other clubs would be much better than Eddie. I, th- I think that's completely fair. Okay, so the infield, um, Harrison is, is proving that he's, you know, it looked like for a month there that, you know, he was going to revert to 2014. Josh Harrison, obviously a lot closer to 2015. Josh Harrison of late. What, what guy do you think he is, Charlie? I think I think he, he basically is who he has been through the whole of this season. I mean, he, he's hit 300 this so far this season. That's good. He's he doesn't walked, walk at all. Yeah, he's walked in a, a little less than 4% of his play appearances. That's not so great. He brings a little bit of power. He brings some, you know, he's you know able to play second base and brings some defensive versatility. That's a good player, you know, not not uh, a 2014 caliber star, but a good player and a player who's worth continuing to give plate appearances to. So I think he's fine the where he is, basically. Okay, you want to talk about the good or the bad? Because we can, we got we got three or four guys who've been great. Way better than expectations for David Freeze and and Matt Joyce, kind of in in their roles. Uh, and then the three stars of the team right now are Jung Ho Gong and the two corner outfielders. They've all been, they've all, I think it's fair to say they've all exceeded expectations. Oh yeah, I mean, and and I mean, you know, Polanco obviously uh, he's he's cooled down lately, but he's just come up really big. And we say that as as I think you know people who expected him to get better. Uh, and then, I mean, Jung Ho Kong, I mean, he, he only has 134 plate appearances so far this year because of the injury, but they've been so good 
you, ha- you kind of have to look at him and, and think, man, what do the Pirates really have here? I mean, they, they've got him under control for a few more years after this, and if he keeps hitting like this, I mean, he's an emerging superstar, basically. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and, and I'll just say, because you left the one that I wanted to talk about in Starling Marte, that, you know, I, I keep pointing back to Starling Marte's last 190 plate appearances in 2014 when he came back from the concussion and he had missed some time and he was unbelievable. He OPS about a thousand. And that's why I expected him to be an MVP candidate last year. I don't think there's any doubt. And, I, you know, people probably not. This might surprise some people, but Starling Marte has been the Pirates best player this year. He has surpassed Gregory Polanco. I mean, their numbers are almost identical. The OBP is the, you know 378 versus 376 the slugging 508 versus 512 the offensive numbers are almost identical and then Marte brings more value defensively you know much more value on the bases with with 20 stolen bases and 25 attempts um it's just um, Charlie if he could just and I, you know I say this understanding what I'm saying uh if he could just have a little more plate discipline seven walks and 262 plate appearances is like you know two and a half percent or whatever the number is it's extraordinarily low but he's been great. Yeah, and, and of course we knew what you were going to say, but <laughs> but but you know you're, you're asking at this point he's a, he's an established player, and we know he's not going to take walks. I and, mean, Polanco's ratio is 35 to 55 walks to strikeouts in 283 plate appearances. Uh, Marte's is seven to 57. Yeah, I, and I, I, you know, like before the season, I kept getting, I, I got some like interview requests where I, people were wanting, were were asking me these quick questions that were assuming that Marte and Polanco are somehow similar players. They're not. Like they're actually not because the the approaches at the plate are completely different. I mean, Polanco is a plate discipline guy. That's that's the sort of backbone of his offense. Um, whereas with Marte, I mean, it's it's not that at all. And at this point in his career, I think we just have to say he's not going to be that. He is, however, going to do pretty much everything else well. So, oh, well, we'll deal with it. I don't know if you saw the, to me, extraordinary stat I put up a couple of weeks ago. I haven't updated it. But roughly in a thousand more plate appearances, uh, Marte and Polanco have about the same number of career walks. And Marte has been hit by a pitch about 75 times. And when Polanco got hit, uh, Polanco has been hit by a pitch once in his career. Huh, that's really strange. Uh, I, yeah, I, I've never really looked into this, but some some players are definitely more hit by pitch prone than others. And we've seen that in the past, you know, couple of decades with the Pirates. And Jason Kendall obviously was somebody who was not scared of getting hit by a pitch. Craig Wilson got hit by pitches all the time and wore that baggy uniform. But I've never really looked into, you know, exactly why. And it's funny that that Marte and Polanco are so different. Now. Polanco has none this year. He's the only Pirate with you know more than 30 at bats who hasn't been hit by a pitch. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah, that's weird. What, what do you uh, what do you make of, of uh, Andrew McCutcheon so far this year? Okay, I make it's not the number two spot in the batting order um, that's causing the problem. I don't think it's an adjustment in his swing plane. I mean, he he said, and I think very correctly, uh, anybody making an adjustment in their swing plane in this point in their career has got real issues. And why would why would McCutcheon, with his success, change his approach at the plate? Uh, I'm kind of baffled. I mean, I don't you know is it the is it the thumb injury that's causing it? Yeah, maybe. Um, he said his approach, he had to change his approach the, the other night when he had that came off that three for four night with a double in the homer. Said he had to change his, he changed his approach at the plate. So rather than going up each at bat, just doing the same thing, he had to adjust to what they were adjusting to. It sounds odd when a player says something like that. I don't know, a player like Andrew McCutcheon says something like that because you would think that's something he's done his entire career. 
And so maybe he's grasping for things as much as, as everybody else is to explain it. I, I don't have an explanation for it. Um, I don't think there's I don't obviously I don't think there's an easy explanation for it other than this is the roughest patch of his career. He had a rough first five weeks last year. Then he was the the Andrew McCutcheon that we've seen for five straight years. So I just assume it's going to get better. But I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at his numbers. There's nothing, you know, all that obvious to point to. I mean, he, he still has some semblance of lots of the skills that he exhibited before. It's just that all of them are kind of down. Uh, you know, across the board. Um, the batting average is way down. The batting average on balls and plays is way down. Walks are, are way down, which I guess kind of makes sense given that he's not the offensive threat this year that he's been in the past. Strikeouts are up, which is, you know, a little bit worrisome. But he's still, you know, well enough within range, I guess, of, of, of all these things that you could... It's still, I think, very possible to imagine him finding his, his usual Andrew McCutcheon gear in the second half of the season and turning things on and, and still putting together a respectable year overall. So, you know, I'm not writing him off right now, of course, but it seems like uh, it just kind of everything is, is not there in the way it once was. Yeah, these next eight games are going to be going to be rough as well with Madison Baumgartner and the Giants coming to town. The nice thing is the Pirates get these guys at home, but the Giants and the Dodgers for, for the next eight are going to be yeah, but, you know, the, if the Pirates go one and seven, they could play the play their way out of things here before the All Star break, I think. And then Charlie, then all the questions are going to be raised. Let me ask you two things, uh, just on a kind of lighter note. Uh, it's never been an issue about who's going to the All Star game for the Pirates. You know, four or five guys every year these past couple of years. If you're picking a representative, you know, I think kind of the only guys you can talk about are. Marte, Polanco, Gong, and Melanson. I mean, McCutcheon, you know, maybe gets it. Maybe somebody will name him to the team based on, on you know, career performance. But uh, who, who are you taking? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't actually paid attention to the voting. Sure. I, I no, it's I not going to be a voting thing. But right. I mean, have, I, I never pay attention to that. And I'm especially not going to pay attention to that this year. Um, but, you know, the guy I'd like to see go is, is Gong. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that would be uh, something that would be an exciting sort of point of recognition for his, his play since he got to the major leagues and um, for him as a sort of pioneer uh, as a you know a, a player from the KBO and as, as something that would be really exciting to fans of his in Korea I mean I, I think it would just be great to see him go to the, the all-star yeah. game He's I'm with you it'd be, it'd be good for the game and, and exposure to the game uh, obviously in Korea that whole thing uh, okay so let's say the Pirates have a uh, another rough month Charlie and they're you know they're out and it's approaching July 31. Obviously, the Pirates would be willing to move, you know, Matt Joyce, David Freeze, Sean Rodriguez, any of those guys. You're not going to get much in return from them. Um, I, I assume you'd be front and center willing to deal Mark Melanson. The question, the question is, and, I, and from based on what you said earlier, you'd obviously be willing to move John Jaso. Um, anybody else? Josh Harrison? And people are going to throw around Andrew McCutcheon's name. Is that something that uh, is even even fathomable? That's a tough one. The Pirates have him under contract for two more seasons after this one. You'd hate to see the Bucks trade him at his lowest point. Then again, I mean, he is, you know, approaching 30 years old. Uh, the Pirates do, you know, potentially, depending on how Austin Meadows handles AAA pitching, I mean, they, they potentially have, uh, a, you know, a replacement for him. 
It's that's just so tough. I mean, he's he's a a, a franchise icon. I mean, I think that if if it really does go south for him for them in, in the next month, they maybe should consider it. But man, that feels brutally hard to say. Yeah, for me, as we've said all along, I think you agree. Seventeen and eighteen are the years for the Pirates, and and you'd hate to be trading McCutcheon early going into that with what looks like. I mean, everybody under contract. Uh, Marte and Polanco in their primes. Kind of, you get you have a glass now and tie him presumably in the order in the rotation at some point. Lariano, whatever he is, uh, still under contract. Cole. Uh, it all seems you know set really well, and and guys coming up through that that uh, system. It's you know interesting decisions here. So, uh, so what's your expectation here for the next? Well, let's talk about for the next eight games for the Pirates. What's a what's a you know, they had that homestand where they went 7-2 and two before they went to Texas, and things looked really rosy. And it looked like Neil's gamble to get to Super 2 was going to pay off, and then it's been so bad since. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better. I mean, uh, you know, they've got Bumgarner and Johnny Cueto, and then Jeff, <laughs> Jess Amarja, who's in the midst of a good season and who has, you know, for whatever it's worth, been very good against them at times in the past. Those are the next three games. Uh, and then I'm not sure who the Dodgers are going to send out, but obviously they have, you know, some some tough pitchers as well. So it could get quite bad for them. Then again, I mean, pitching matchups are not destiny, and strange things happen, and you know, who knows? All right, so let's uh, let's just quickly recap the draft. Some interesting choices as the Pirates. Uh, Neil said the board tells you who you're going to pick, and the last last couple of years the top picks have been. Uh, kind of contact middle infield, uh, middle of the, the diamond players who have been having great, you know, season, seasons in the minor leagues, by the way, most of them. Um, this year they go with a you know, the kind of bad body, uh, slugging eventual first baseman and two projectable high school pitchers. They're surprised at all? I don't know if surprise is the right word. I, I think that, um, you know, maybe what would have surprised me is if the Pirates went uh, you know, a more conventional route. I mean, they, they have shown over the past three years, you know, starting in 2014, especially with the, the drafting of, of, of Cole Tucker with their first pick, and then with Kevin Newman and, and uh, Key Brian Hayes was a, went about where he was projected to go, but but Kevin Kramer also. Uh, last year, they, they've shown that they do not go by Baseball America <laughs> right, ra- ratings right. or whatever, and, and they did that again this year. I, I think Craig... People sort of saw as a, uh, a reasonable uh, value pick with the, the, the 22nd selection. Um, it's a different kind of player for them because, like you said, that they've they've been oriented towards these these contact hitting infielders, and here they are, basically choosing someone who has some certain maybe like weird parallels to, to Pedro Alvarez a little bit, um, potentially someone who could have better play discipline than that, but sort of like a, a slugging infielder who might be stretched at third base. That's who they went with with their first overall, with their with their their first selection. I, I'm not sure I hate it. I mean, the the you know teams need power hitters, and that's that's going to be a type of player that's that will be very tough for the Pirates to get on the open market. So I can is, is Neil banking on the DH coming to the National League in the next three years? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it, it would seem that Craig certainly could handle first base. So I, I who knows? I'm not I'm not sure how much how much traction there really is for that. Um, and, and they don't have any, you know, look at it. There really isn't any, there, there's no first base depth in the organization. Now that's the easiest thing to find is move, moving guys to that spot. 
But you've got Josh Bell, and you don't really have anybody else that, that at least you're pointing to right now because they don't want to move guys to first. I mean, I get it. It's a kind of a you know chicken and the egg type of thing. But, yeah, this guy, that's where this guy's going to be. And it'll be interesting to see how the next two years go for him because he's going to move quickly if he moves. You would think so. I mean, you would think that he would get to somebody, you know, a, a, a very good hitter. I, I know that – what conference is Wake Forest and the ACC? ACC, yeah, right. I mean, I, I know that that's, that's not regarded as being one of the super tough conferences right now. But, you know, a major college program or a fairly significant college program should get to, to you know, high A pretty fast. If things go well for him, he could be at Altoona early next year. I mean, I don't think that's – ridiculous at all so if if he hits he, he could be knocking on the door fairly quickly go ahead well, I, I guess i was going to say uh are, ask you if are you basically what has happened is since the new draft rules were put in place we have seen the pirates essentially follow the rules you know not do all that much that's super creative in terms of uh moving money around to get money to players that are you know a bit overslot. That's not to say that they haven't been willing to spend money or anything like that. Um, just that you know basically they, they take who they want to take uh, at slots that are at, you know at draft positions that are reasonable for those players, with a few small exceptions. And this was a team that was basically breaking every rule in the book up until the draft slotting uh, system was was instituted. Has it has it been surprising to you to see them be so well behaved? No, because the penalties are pretty punitive uh, once you get over the tax stuff. Um, you know, you go a little bit over okay, you go a lot over, it's it's pretty rough. Um, now, no, I think, no, team, no team has done that. Right, and, and uh, obviously the system kills the Pirates versus, I mean – there's no, there's no two ways about it, Charlie. The, the fact that the rich teams didn't figure it out before this team system was put in place was either some kind of uh, massive collusion that was going on, or there were just so many dumb front office guys because the Pirates <laughs> throwing money at the draft, even though it wasn't always successful, was the smartest thing they could possibly do. And the fact that other teams didn't is, ju- it's just kind of incomprehensible if you look back and say, you know, why weren't the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Cubs and the, you know, name your team? doing the same thing the Pirates were doing. It would spiral out of control and, and things would go crazy. But it's just amazing the Pirates were able to do it with having only one or two other teams follow their lead for three or four years. Well, actually, and David, the, the, the one big market team that was aggressively doing that was the Red Sox. Uh, right, Red and, Sox, right. And you, know, and, and you look back at their 2011 draft, that's basically the, you know, uh, the core of their, their organization right now. They right. got Jackie Bradley, they got uh, Mookie Betts, Travis Shaw, Blake Swire. Like all, all those guys in you know one one draft, which which really shows what can happen when those things go right. And you you add that to the financial resources that the Red Sox now have, it's going to make them very tough over the next several years. So you're right that that the Yankees didn't for some reason didn't do this um, was pretty baffling. Um, I, and, and, the, and the fact that they're willing to throw extraordinary amounts of money at the same time to Japanese and Cuban and, you know, other players that were not subject to the draft makes it even more baffling because, you know, they're out there looking for the talent. Right. I mean, it just seems like, uh, you know, short-term thinking. I mean, I guess they figure that they can they can sort of plug in that Japanese or, or, or Cuban player right away, whereas with the draft pick, they're, they're going to have to wait. So that's, I guess, what they thought they would rather spend money on. I, and I guess what I was referring to with my question, though, is – uh, just not finding, you know, the Pirates not necessarily finding ways to get super creative with 
with adding consensus top talents to their system. I mean, they, they've uh, added, you know, mostly players that look like good, not great selections at especially lower in the first round, but including in the first round with, with some of the guys they've gotten. Some of them have turned out well. I mean, Kevin Newman looks like a good pick so far. Cole Tucker looks like a potentially good pick. Uh, but uh, I, I guess I just see the, the, the Pirates behaving in the draft in a way that is sort of oddly quiet. You know. Well, I, the one guy you could probably point to, Charlie, ironically, is the kid who made his debut last night in Stallings, who, when they take him in the seventh round, and uh, they, they signed for a $10,000 bonus. They saved, I think, $138,000, which they used later. Um, who did they use it on the, in the 11th round? Was it Frazier? Was it oh, Max Moroff, I think, is the guy they end up. So I think they've done he, a he little He was later. Bit. He was like the 16th or 17th round, something like that. Yeah, they paid. They, I, they I don't used, have this in front of me right now. But. Yeah, no worries. Um, but so they, you know, they used, they've used money to, to move around. The, the problem is the amounts of money are so small. Right. Unless you have something crazy like the Mark Appel thing, um, or you get a guy at the very top and you have a $6 million budget and you save a million bucks, it, there's not much, there really isn't much flexibility. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that, that's the core of the problem. And I, and I think maybe I'm getting at something that is, is a, maybe a little bit too complex to discuss here without some, some, uh, <laughs> some notes in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, maybe that's something I'll, uh, explore in a future post or, um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're you're hitting on it. I mean, there's there's only so creative they can be when they're a winning team. I mean, that's that's the problem, and they're not um, getting high draft picks. They're not getting high dollar figures associated with those draft picks, and it's you know much easier to be really creative in the draft if you're the Astros over the past you know several years and you're consistently terrible. So they are hamstrung by that, but you know that's that's where they are. Well, it should be an interesting week uh, here in Pittsburgh to see what happens, starting with Mad Bum going tonight. Uh, we'll see if the Pirates' bats can carry uh, what's been a pr- brutal pitching staff. Okay, so we'll wrap it here. Um, I'm Charlie Wilmoth with David Todd. You can follow me on Twitter at BuckStugout. Follow David on Twitter at DTOnPirates. And listen to, listen to his show on 970 ESPN. At what time, David? Four? Sorry. Four to seven. Four to seven. But I know, no it's in, I know it's in drive time. Four <laughs> yeah, to right. seven. Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast. To say